as you remember from our last meeting, we had analyzed the first interlude, or the Apsalma, during the opening of the sixth seal. And we saw that a seal was to be placed on all those who believe in God, those who worship God, all his elect, the people of God. And we saw what was the meaning of the seal. It is the placement of the Holy Cross on the believers. But this placement does not work mechanically where the angel received the commandment to seal the faithful. Which faithful? Those who already had placed the cross in their life. So this separation, this seal that God carries out is not something mechanical or superficial, but something essential that stems out from the free will of each person. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zabulon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. No doubt this repetition may have been tiresome to some of you, but it has its purpose. So the evangelist heard the number. It is assumed that he does not see this uh, action of the seal, but he only hears the announcement of the number of those that have been sealed. And this number most likely reached John's ears by some angel, that the number of those saved will be 144,000. And we now come to this ever so popular and so mysterious number of 144,000. I called it ever so mysterious because it has been the object of great abuse from the heretics, especially the Jehovah's Witnesses, but not any less from the Pentecostals and any other heretic. What is this number of 144,000? It is the result of multiplying 12 times 12,000. And this is precisely the reason why the 12 tribes were specified and not needlessly, as you will see as we continue. And the specificity of this tribal catalog has no intention to bore or to be redundant, as we will see the tribes do not follow the regular order. It provides certain exciting hints to help the interpreter. This reminds us of the catalog of the gospel reading shortly before Christmas on the Sunday of the forefathers. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and so on. Here, again, we don't have a catalog designed to bore the listener, but out of this catalog, much theology and much history can be extracted. Likewise, here, the same stands true for this tribal catalog as we will see. So the number 144,000 results from multiplying 12 times the 12 tribes, 12 times 12,000 of each tribe, so 12 times 12,000 equals 144,000. And now the question is, does this happen to be an exact number, as the Jehovah's Witnesses claim? Is it a real number, meaning that those who will be saved will not be one less, nor one more, but exactly 144,000? Obviously not, my friends. Evidently not. And this is a great heretical delusion. And here's the plunder of the heretics to think that only these elect 144,000 will be saved and make it to heaven. 
this number is a conventional or a round number. And to understand this better, we'll remind you of the parable of the ten virgins. The parable of the ten virgins is structured as follows. The five virgins are foolish and the other five are wise. When Christ was asked, Lord, are many people going to be saved? The Lord answered, struggle to enter. He did not give an answer, or at least a numerical answer. He did not answer many or few. The number of those saved belongs to the knowledge of God only since Christ did not answer with a definite number. And obviously cannot be 144,000. Because, as in the case of this parable, he placed five with those saved and five with those not saved. So, here, he used the same number for both categories to keep us from falling into misinterpretations, to keep us from arriving to percentages. 30% will be lost, or 40% will be saved if the foolish were three and the wise were seven. Three would be left out, so 70% will be saved, and vice versa, or 9 out of 10, none of this. This is all avoided by using equal numbers, 5 and 5, to eliminate any notion of an exact number. This is precisely the case with the 144,000, which is 12 times 12,000. Furthermore, a few verses down where the second interlude is given, St. John the Evangelist says that I saw a crowd that no one could count. So how we can count the crowd here and say that's 144,000, and there the same crowd is impossible to be counted. My friends, we come across the number 144,000 three times in the book of the Revelation. The first instance is this one referring to those who will be sealed, those who will be saved. The second time we meet again this 144,000, but there, there is no room for 12 times 12,000, and they are those who live a life of virginity, those who did not pollute themselves with women, and this is stated not only negatively, but positively. For there are virgins who follow the Lamb wherever He goes, and it seems to refer to the people who dedicated their entire life to God, like all the saints and the ascetics in history. And again, I, I, repeat, this I repeat, this number refers to those dedicated to God. Consequently, we have a second instance of the 144,000. So we have two instances of the 144,000. The one belongs to the tribes of Israel, and the second belongs to all those who dedicated their life to God and remained virgins. And we also have a third category. When the city is being measured, the New Jerusalem, the Kingdom of God, it manifests, manifests itself within the walls of a square city. And the square represents the perfect figure, and not the circle. You all know this from math, the relationship of the circumference to the radius is 3.14, and it can never be a perfect number. It never ends. The circle can never be squared off, so to speak. So the perfect shape is the square. So the city of God takes the image of the square to show perfection. And the angel measured the height of the walls of the city, while John is next to him. And the height of the walls is 144 cubits. Needless to say, this is all figurative because the city does not have any walls. And the city goes beyond our understanding of a city. There is no reason to have walls. There are no evil enemies any longer. This will be the kingdom of God. All evil people will be in hell. So why the walls? And why the need for walls around the city? All these are symbols. And the number of, height, of the height of the walls being 144, 144 cubits 
shows this is symbolic, as we will see in detail when our studies reach that chapter of the book of the Revelation, God willing. But for the record, I told you that we run across this number three times, and we clearly see that this does not consist of a real number. But the Holy Script talks here about the 12 tribes of Israel. And the question is, are these the 12 tribes of Israel that will be saved? Those Jews that believe in Christ only. Although, my friends, uh, there were tens of thousands of Christians, of Christian Jews in Palestine during the time of the Apostles. And we see this in the Acts of the Apostles when St. Paul visited Jerusalem. James, the brother of God, tells him, Do you see, my brother, all the tens of thousands of Jews that have become believers? Acts 21.20 However, the 144,000 does not refer to the contemporary Jews who lived during the time of the Apostles. But this number refers to the new Israel, which new Israel consists of Jews and Gentiles and all those who believed and will believe in Christ all through the ages. But who makes up this new Israel? The ones who received the seed of the gospel, St. Andrew of Caesarea says. And who are these 12 tribes? They are the 12 apostles, my friends, and not Judah and Reuben. They are the 12 apostles. We will see why he mentions about the 12 tribes in a bit. But again, these are the 12 apostles who preach the gospel, and the seed of the gospel falls. So 12 apostles times 12, and the figurative number of 1,000 is used to show multiplicity, and that's our number 144,000. So 12 apostles times the 12 tribes, we have 144 times the perfect number of 1,000, and we arrive at 144,000. And you may say, how can we be sure that these are the 12 apostles? Well, the Lord said this. He said to the apostles, you, my 12 disciples, will sit on 12 thrones, and you will judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Consequently, we don't have Reuben and Judah, etc., but the 12 apostles. But when the 12 apostles preach throughout the entire world, then this number co consists of all people who accept it and will accept the gospel, Jews and Gentiles, and this number includes us as well. All of us who believe are part of this number. Therefore, we are the Israel of grace, the new people of God. St. Paul writes, There is no Jew nor Gentile, for all of us are one in Christ Jesus. There is no difference between the Gentile and the Jew. If you are of Christ, then you are a seed of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. So then, what is the seed of Abraham? Who is, rather, the seed of Abraham? Not the 12 patriarchs, the 12 sons of Jacob. No, but the new people of grace, the new Israel, the Christians. The Lord himself said this, as I told you before, through his apostles. Truly, truly, I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you will also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. In the regeneration, the sun, the moon, all these cosmic upheavals, the changing of the universe, all these things are called palingenesia, or regeneration. So this reference to the twelve tribes shows clearly that this has nothing to do with the 12 tribes of, is of Old Testament Israel, but the 12 tribes of the new Israel, the Church of Christ. 
But you may ask, why are the 12 tribes mentioned here at all? This reference of the 12 tribes comes to offer a number of elements. And please follow closely here to see why this reference to the tribes. And I'm reading a couple of the beginning lines of the verses that we started with. And I heard the number of them which were sealed and there were sealed 144,000. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. So it starts with the tribe of Judah. However, as we know, Judah is the fourth son of Jacob and not the first. Reuben is first. So the first tribe is not that of Judah in the Old Testament. But why is Judah being placed here first? And this should make us question right off the bat. This should make us curious. Let's not forget that John is a Jew. And no Jewish tribe would ever allow another to supersede it or take its rights. Especially if you keep in mind that during the 40 years in the desert, the tribe of Reuben demanded this primacy many times. But even in the promised land, when the subject of a king came up, the tribe of Reuben fought to be first. The first king Saul belonged to the tribe of Benjamin. And when David came next, belonging to the tribe of Judah, he had a very hard time to be accepted by the 12 tribes because he was not from the first tribe. The tribe of Reuben created much turmoil and they, make things, they made things very difficult for David because he did not belong to their tribe. So here, why is Judah placed first and not Reuben? Simply because there is no intention here to adhere to the order of the 12 tribes. The natural order of the tribes is not followed, and this initially eliminates the argument that this has to do with the 12 tribes of Israel. This is not the case. So right off the bat, we exclude this possibility. Additionally, the tribe of Judah is placed first because from this tribe, Christ will come forth. Therefore, this number refers to a new people, the people of grace, and not the people of the Old Testament. This number has to do about the new people of God, the Christians. Second, in the 12 tribes mentioned here, the tribe of Dan is not included, but instead of Dan to fill this gap, we have Manasseh or Manasseh. But Manasseh was a child of Joseph. Joseph had two children, Manasseh and Ephraim, and when they were blessed by their grandfather Jacob, Jacob did this. He crisscrossed his hands. Joseph placed Manasseh, the oldest one, on the right, and Ephraim, the younger one, on Jacob's left, expecting the blessing to go on the oldest. The right hand of Jacob was to place on Manasseh, and his left hand to be placed on Ephraim. However, Jacob, who was blind at the time, crisscrossed his hands and placed his right hand on Ephraim and his left on Manasseh. And this upset Joseph, who cried out, No, father, Manasseh is the oldest. No, father. But Jacob, who made the sign of the cross with crossing his hands, did not consider the correction of Joseph. Joseph exclaimed, Ephraim is not the first. See, the subject of the birthright was of great significance in the Old Testament, and Joseph hastens to correct Jacob. I know, my son, I know, my son, I know what I'm doing, because the blessing here would be reversed. The blessing would be granted to the young son first and not to the older one. And Jacob promised Joseph, when you go to the promised land, promise to my grandfather Abraham, besides you, your sons Ephraim and Manasseh will receive a share. So here Ephraim is not even mentioned. Manasseh is mentioned. And here we have another scandal. Since Ephraim 
was blessed by Jacob to precede Manasseh. Why is Manasseh mentioned here? And this farther takes us away from the position that these could be the 12 tribes of the Old Testament Israel, and that we should pay attention to the natural order of the tribes, because Manasseh is not first in terms of blessing. He's first in birth, but not first in terms of blessing. So instead of Dan, Manasseh enter here, and Joseph, and Ephraim is kept out because he's 13, and he does not exist in this order. So the number 12 is completed. Not to mention that the tribe of Levi did not receive a share, and it, it wouldn't have to be numbered here, but it is mentioned as a tribe that received a promise, but not a share or a lot. And this, is also, this also removes us from the idea that this could be the old catalog of the tribes. Third point, why isn't the tribe of Dan included here? It is not included because the tribe of Dan will give birth to the Antichrist, while the tribe of Judah, which is mentioned first, will bring forth Christ. St. Andrew of Caesarea writes, since the Antichrist will be the offspring of the tribe of Dan, it is not included with the other tribes. So the Antichrist will be the offshoot of the tribe of Dan, and we will speak about him at length, but not at this point. The subject of the Antichrist is a great one, and it is of great interest to us, and you will see how intrigued we will become when we learn who is the Antichrist and how will he move about. However, let's see the testimony of the Holy Scriptures on exactly how the Antichrist will be a descendant of the tribe of Dan. Jacob, when he was blessing his children in Egypt, along with the blessing, he also gave a prophecy about the future of the tribe of each one of his children. Of course, this was not for each individual child, but for the future of the tribe. When he blessed Judah, and this particular blessing of Judah is, is a hymn, precisely because from there Christ will come forth, and he will become the expectation of the nations, and from you the one who is the anticipation of the nations, not Israel, but the expectation of the nations, all the earth, all the people, all the descendants of Abraham. When I got in here, God the Lord speaks when he says to Eve, one will come who will save you. He will come from Judah and he will come. He was eagerly awaited by all nations of all seasons. These words are given to Judah by his father Jacob. When Dan's turn came, Jacob told him this, Dan will judge his people like one tribe, like one tribe. He will rule all the 12 tribes like they are one tribe. Truly, the tribe of Dan gave birth to Samson, who was a judge, a governor, a ruler of all Israelites. He ruled over them as if they were one tribe. But this is the partial fulfillment of this prophecy partial fulfillment. Let's not forget that the prophecies of the Old Testament do not exhaust themselves at a certain point. We said this before. These prophecies are not exhausted, with the exception of very few, but these prophecies repeat themselves and keep fulfilling themselves until the very end of times when we will have the complete fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament. So the tribe of Dan will become a judge again. From the tribe of Dan, a new ruler, a new judge will come forth. This new ruler, my friends, will be the Antichrist, who will not govern the Israelites only as one tribe, but the entire world with one world government. And he will be a Jew who will govern and his forerunners are the Zionists and all their children, masonry, Kiliasm, etc. 
this process of globalization will turn all the people of earth into one nation. It is noteworthy that the snake is mentioned here. Dan will become a snake along the way. He will wait by the road and he will bite the rider and the horse. He will bite the heel of the horse and the rider will fall off. So when the horse receives the venom of the snake, the horse will lose control and drop dead and the rider will fall on his back and he will be awaiting his salvation from the Lord. Awaiting the salvation of the Lord. Pay attention to this last phrase. There in the wilderness, no one will be present to save this rider. He will only count on God for salvation. Let's pay close attention here. Who is this rider? The rider is the church. The snake is the devil, the ancient serpent, and we will see as we advance in the book of the Revelation that when he will see the woman, and the woman happens to be uh, two things simultaneously, the most holy Theotokos and the church, you see how the most holy Theotokos coincides and at times it is distinct from the church. When the dragon saw her giving birth to a male child, the male child is Jesus Christ, the enemy of the dragon, and the woman fled into the desert. Why? Because the ancient dragon spewed out a river of water to drown the woman and the child of the woman, and the child of the woman was received into heaven. And here we have the entire story of Christ in one verse which finishes with the ascension of Christ. However, the woman stays in the world. The child, her child was taken up. It was pursued, persecuted by the devil, the dragon. Uh, Christ was crucified, resurrected, ascended. But the woman stays, the mother stays, she's the church. Now the dragon spews a river of water behind her to drown her. So she takes refuge in the desert. In the desert means that there is no one else to help her. This is so beautifully stated here. The rider who falls on his back is counting on the salvation of the Lord. The church which will be chased and persecuted terribly through history, especially more so during the very end by the Antichrist. And the church will not expect any help from anywhere. Her only salvation will come from heaven. That's why the Lord says, when you see that all these things are taking place, then turn your eyes, look up, lift up your eyes heavenward, because your redemption is near. Truly, the salvation of the church will come from heaven. So here we see how Jacob prophesies that the tribe of Dan will bring forth the Antichrist. St. Hippolytus tells us this, and uh, this in his subject uh, about the Antichrist in the Bibliography of the Greek Fathers, page 201, volume 6, for those who may have access to these works. As Christ will be a descendant, will become born from the tribe of Judah, the Antichrist will be born from the tribe of Dan. St. Irenaeus repeats the same thing. But our Lord stated this as follows. You did not receive me, but when the other one comes, you will receive him. And this other one is the Antichrist. But why the tribe of Dan? And let's see briefly its history and what went on with this particular tribe. The tribe of Dan proved to be very rebellious from the time of the judges. And you can read more about this in the 17th and 18th chapters of Judges. How they rebelled and finally they took a sculpture which finally worshipped as God and they refused to come to Jerusalem to worship. After all the tribes settled in the Promised Land, the tribe of Dan was the only one worshipping this sculpture. 
It is the only tribe which rebelled this way and refused to accept the religion of the fathers. Consequently, the tribe of Dan is symbolic of apostasy. The Antichrist is the person who will go against the footsteps of Christ. However, one thing is for sure, the Antichrist will come from the Jews. Therefore, since the tribe of Dan will give birth to the Antichrist, is it possible to include this tribe in this catalog of the 12 tribes of Israel, the new Israel of grace, which will be the church and the people of God? This is not possible. For this reason, Dan is not numbered or mentioned here, for the tribe of Dan is the symbol of apostasy. So he's absent from the numbers of the faithful who will be saved. This means that anyone who rebels against the church, and we have so many children of apostasy today, all these children, they will remain in the tribe of Dan. And I will say it one more time. The Antichrist will come from the Jews. It is also known that in naming people or places, the Jews like to use names with certain meaning. All the names used by Jews while naming persons or places declare characteristics of some prophecy or some event or even behavior. For example, Jacob means supplanter, as Esau cried out, It is not he rightly named Jacob, for he hath supplanted me these two times. When Esau was being born, the first one of Isaac, Jacob's hand took a hold of the heel of the firstborn Esau. They were twins, but Jacob was a couple minutes younger, and he was born second. And at some time later, Esau sold his birthright to Jacob for a plate of lentils. And later on, he was tricked, and Isaac's blessing went to Jacob. So Esau exclaimed, he is rightly called Jacob, one who supplants, one who tricks, who throws someone down. So Jacob took the birthright from Esau, who literally means thick-haired. Esau was very hairy, like an animal, and since he ate the plate of lentils, which was reddish in that area, the plate of reddish lentils given to him by Jacob in exchange for the birthright, Esau now was named Edom, and his descendants, Edomites. And Edom, E-D-O-M, means red because the lentils of that area, once again, were of a reddish color. These are some examples showing that the Jews love to give meaningful names to people or places from a certain behavior or an event or a prophecy. If this is the case, then the 12 children of Jacob did not receive their names nonchalantly or casually. The four mothers, the two, the official mothers, and the two were concubines who gave the 12 children to Jacob, the 12 sons, because the daughters are not included in this numbering, these children received names with meaning, and these names were given from their own mothers from different happenings. So my friends, by having and analyzing the names of these 12 patriarchs, we can begin to see elements of the new Israel. St. Andrew of Caesarea offers us such a tremendous and amazing analysis. So we can draw a number of conclusions by the analysis of these names, which will be none else than the spiritual characteristics of the faithful of all ages, but especially of those at the end of times during the reign of the Antichrist. And we begin with Judah first. Judah means confession, 
and confession in Hebrew means praise and doxology, doxologia. Truly, those who are saved by faith glorify and hymn the offshoot of Judah, Jesus Christ. So, Judah comes first. And for Christians, faith and doxology of Jesus Christ comes first. This is the foundation. Second, we have Reuben. His mother had said, God saw my lowliness. God saw. So Reuben means vision. And as St. Andrew explains, these are the ones who will develop spiritual vision by purifying their heart. And in reality, to have spiritual eyes to see spiritually, this presupposes a pure heart. Blessed are the pure at heart because they will see God. And when Christ talks about the pure at heart, having the ability to see God, this does not refer to the kingdom of God sometime in the future. Please pay attention because all church fathers agree on this point. This does not refer to the kingdom of God, but it refers to this life, to this world. Consequently, the vision of God from this world is available to those who have and maintain a pure heart. And in this matter, equivalency exists. The more the heart becomes purified, the more the vision of God is attained and vice versa. When someone has a pure heart, as much as to have some empirical knowledge of the presence of God, this is a spiritual vision. If, my friends, we have this knowledge of God inside of us, the knowledge of how God interferes in history, in our personal and universal history, when we see how God works, when we have the inward empirical information, empirical feeling of the presence of God, how comes I can see it and the person next to me cannot understand a thing? This means that there's a vision and the development of a certain spiritual vision is at hand. This is the beginning of godly vision. The first vision, and this can be developed to the point where someone can be seen the uncreated energy of divine glory, the light of transfiguration. So quite obviously, we have a very long way to go, a very long ladder to ascent. And this gradual ascent of the theoria, or the vision of God, depends on the purity of the heart. Gad means happiness. I am happy, the mother of Gad said during his birth. It is the number of those Christians who will have the inner information that they belong to the remnant that will be saved. They are and they ought to be very happy. But my friends, if at this moment we had a certain assurance that we can be saved and each one has this potential to possess this assurance that he's a member of the remnant that will be saved, couldn't this make us very, very happy? To feel happy despite all the difficulties and tribulations that we may have. Asher means blessed, and blessed will be those who will receive the blessed beatitude of the Master that will stand at the right hand of Christ. Come, the blessed ones of my Father. Nephthalim, I struggled and I won, for God has hearkened to my plea, which refers to prayer. As St. Andrew of Caesarea explains, those who glue themselves to God through incessant prayer. Those who attach themselves to God with the incessant prayer. Prayer, my friends, is not for morning and night, even though I would be very happy if you would tell me that you do your prayers both morning and night. Most of you only pray at night. I would be very happy, very elated, to find that you pray both 
in the morning and at night. But the subject here is the incessant prayer. And one form of this prayer is, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Of course, this may not always be the form, but the name of Christ is always central to this prayer. And if a soul prays constantly everywhere, every place and every hour, then he has the incessant prayer. He becomes Nephthalim, a man or a woman of prayer. The Lord has hearkened to my plea. Number six, Manasseh, forgetfulness. When Joseph had his firstborn son in Egypt, up to this point, he was very troubled and still hurting, having been sold by his brothers to the Egyptians. Even though he received a great title of second to the Pharaoh, second to the king of Egypt, he was second in command. He was married, and when he glanced at his first son, he named him Manasseh, forgetfulness. In other words, God has given me a child to help me forget the bitterness of this foreign land, to have my own family, and to forget the bitterness of being a foreigner to this land. St. Andrew now says, what does this mean? From a Christian point of view, those who forget their house, they don't look back in order to gain and find divine errors. But when? When the house becomes a stumbling block and goes against the way of godliness. He who loves father, mother, son, daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Those who ignore their home, they forget their home for the sake of divine love, divine heirs, the love and dedication to God. The one who leaves behind his biological relatives and dedicates himself to the work of God. This is the case of the 144,000 who follow the Lamb everywhere he goes. Seventh, Simeon. Simeon means I am hated. The mother of Simeon was hated. That's why she said, I am hated at the birth of this son. There were two sisters and two concubines and much competition and much jealousy between them but we will not expand on this subject here. Simeon, I'm hated. This is characteristic that the faithful belongs to the remnant, the small number of people who will maintain faith in God and they will be hated by this world. If the world hates you, the Lord said, remember that it hated me first. So the elect will be hated by the world. Please pay attention and record these characteristics well so we don't feel the arrows and the fire of the low self-esteem when those around us ignore us because we didn't become masons or members of the Lions or Rotary Clubs, whatever else, because we go to church. They will call us hypocrites, fanatics. They will call us many things, fundamentalists. They will hate us. We will not enter their living rooms. We will stay far from them and outside of their circles. Therefore, we will be hated. Those who know how to behave, those who know and understand to what people they belong, they are ready to be hated. Levi, number eight. Levi means accepted, one having been accepted. According to St. Andrew, those who were received by Christ because of their pious lifestyle. Number nine, Issachar. Issachar means wages. His mother said, God has paid my wages, my reward. And this according to the old story in Genesis. But from a Christian point of view, the faithful feels his reward. Christ promised a reward to all the faithful. 
Behold, I'm coming soon, and my reward is with me. My wages are with me. Wages to repay everyone according to their accomplishment, according to their works. Revelation 22:12. Zabulon, a precious gift of God, similar to our name Theodoros, Theodore. The gifts of the Holy Spirit received by the faithful. The faithful is adorned with gifts of the Holy Spirit. Faithful and lacking in gifts, in divine gifts, is inconceivable. And the first and foremost of all gifts is love. St. Paul says, I will tell you what are the highest gifts to aim for. The greatest of gifts is love. And there he weaves the great hymn of love in Corinthians. But I want love, genuine love. To have genuine love is a gift of the Holy Spirit, my friends. Joseph means addition. When he was born, Rachel couldn't have any children. And when Joseph was born, she prayed. She said, may the Lord add to, add to me another son. So Joseph means addition, something that's added. And this is how his mother named Joseph. But Christ says, seek first the kingdom of God and all else will be added unto you. Amen needs a lot of faith to understand this, especially in the end of times when you will see that the Antichrist will be applying intense financial squeeze, financial pressure on all Christians. Would then be able to say, would we be able to say, let's seek First, the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto us by Christ because Christ promised this to us. He said it himself. And all these things will be added unto us. All these things will be added unto you. As I told you, all these names correspond to Christian characteristics of the faithful. Benjamin, son of pain. When Rachel gave birth to Joseph, uh, she was the second wife of Jacob. She only bore two children. The first was Joseph, and the second was Benjamin. And she died during the second childbirth. Before she died, the child was born, and she named him, and after that, she died. And she named this child Son of Pain, and after that, Rachel died. Let's take a look at the image of those sealed again at the uh, visual of Ezekiel. We saw this at the last lesson in the 8th and ninth chapters of Ezekiel. The Lord called to, them, to the, uh, the men clothed in linen, go through the city, through Jerusalem, and seal all those who sigh and groan, those who are in pain, because of all the abominations that are committed in it. For all the evil, lawlessness, and sin that takes place inside the city of Jerusalem. The faithful will have pain. Their soul will feel pain by seeing the increase of evil. The evil will be flooding the streets and they will feel helpless. They will not be able to change anything, but they will feel pain and agony. And we see this today. How many of our people, young and old, are perishing? How many victims to the nets of immorality, faithlessness, pornography, atheism, prodigality, substance abuse, alcohol abuse? How many of our young people are perishing? You take a ride through the city, through our cities, and you see the young people, how they carry on, laugh, how they live, and you sigh about these immortal souls that Christ died for. These souls are perishing because of ignorance. And you feel the pain. What Christian soul wouldn't feel any pain by taking a look at our today's public school system, our public schools? What happened to our public schools? Whatever goes on in these schools, if they're schools, you see people in general, how they think, how they live, and you groan. 
It is the pain that develops from the evil that grows and spreads like wildfire. And the name Benjamin is expressive of this pain of the Christians. Only the faithful people feel this pain. The rest, they don't feel a thing. They are anesthetized. They see nothing wrong with society. They feel things are great. They agree with the system. Things are going well. Their world has never been better. Down with boundaries. That's exactly how we want things to be. Doesn't get better than this, as the commercial says. But the faithful are in agony. They suffer. But besides this, we also have those who have a wounded heart. A wounded heart for the love of Christ. And they wait as the book of the Revelation finishes. Lord, how long? How long must we wait? Lord, when will you come? I'm coming soon. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly. The Holy Spirit that stays in the world comfort, comforts and consoles the faithful, the Spirit and the Bride. Who is the Bride? The Bride is the Church and the Holy Spirit being in the Church. And the Church says, come, come. Yes, I'm coming soon. My friends, all these characteristics of the faithful will set apart the sealed remnant of the church from the world, which world will be condemned. All these characteristics and virtues serve to identify the spiritual human being. And for us to succeed in becoming spiritual people, we must learn to work with much diligence and fear of God.